Listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Our guest has had an interesting and varied path along the medical cannabis road over the years, both personally and professionally. She helped her sister with medical cannabis, but now because of that, she has a criminal record. In January of 2014, she opened Patients for Patients Medical in eastern Washington State, helping medical cannabis patients there. And joining us today is Tracy Serene. Tracy, good of you to do this. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Take us back a few years and tell us the story of helping your sister with cannabis. Okay, I'd like to. Um, Amy qualified for medical cannabis in Washington State with her chronic pain condition. She was taking a large number of opiates. At one time, she was taking three 80-milligram Oxycontins a day. Um, She called me one week, and she had been on the floor of her motor home. She woke up there, and she didn't know how many days she'd been there. She had lost um, you know, her bowel control and bladder control while she was laying there, and she called me, and she was afraid for her life, and she asked me about medical cannabis, and so we looked into the program, and we applied, and she qualified, but there was only one dispensary, and that was in Seattle, and she lived in eastern Washington. And since I lived um, closer to Seattle, I became her caregiver, which meant I could pick up her medication. Um, at that time, it was a wonderful place. They had everything, edibles, medication, paraphernalia if they needed it. It was great. So, you know, I could pick up a whole package of things and drive it across the mountains to her. But I did get pulled over um, and searched. And um, I told them I was a caregiver and showed them my paperwork. And they told me that they didn't consider that I was a caregiver unless I lived in her home, basically fed her all of her meals, gave her every medication, not just cannabis. That's how they looked at it. And therefore, they were going to charge me. And they impounded my car. Um, So that was a long battle. They ended up really was weird. They reduced, they took the marijuana and then they reduced that charge from a felony to an attempting to purchase from an officer charge, which made no sense to me. But they said, if you fight this, we will continue to charge you as a felony, but you can take this misdemeanor charge and a paraphernalia charge. So I was scared and I took the charges. Um, I paid my fines. I didn't want to go to jail. I um, continued to be her caregiver. I continued to bring her her medication, and then my sister moved to Montana, and she applied for the medical marijuana program there, and she was successful at joining the program. And I like to remember my sister during that time the most because she absolutely glowed. She was off all pharmaceuticals. Um, She was singing, and uh, that's something she did very well. Um, And 
her just her skin and everything about her was glowing and she was very healthy and happy and montana closed its medical marijuana program because it said too many people were taking advantage of it and access shops were popping up everywhere and they weren't comfortable with that the government in montana and while that battle continued my sister was again removed from the medical marijuana program and she was put back on opiate medication from her doctor when the program reopened she couldn't afford to join it because she was on social security and it was around three hundred dollars to do the doctor visit and the department of health um, recognition card and so she could not afford to join it and she fell back into a pharmaceutical um, nightmare, which ended up taking her life ultimately three years ago at 37 years old. And she leaves behind a daughter and a son and a grandson that was just four months old when she passed away. What was the issue with your sister that required her to be on pharmaceuticals? She had what they call Chiari, and that is when your brain actually is larger than your skull and it extends down into your spinal cord. And so what they do is they carve part of your skull out and they put a patch around so that the brain fluid can actually circle the brain as it's meant to be. Her brain was actually gray because it was pressing up against the skull and didn't have fluid moving around it. So she did have a lot of migraines and she did have chronic pain, but that condition wasn't diagnosed until she got to Montana. So in trying to um, help her with pain, they one doctor in particular in Washington would just give her anything she wanted for pain medication. And then with the tolerance that she had built up towards pain medication, when she got back on it in Montana, it was always a large amount of morphine. Um, she didn't take them correctly. As with most people who take chronic pain medication for a long time, there begins a pattern of not taking them correctly. Um, so with her on the medical cannabis, she was thriving. She was fine. Oh, it was amazing. It was night and day. Night and day. And then she went back in pharmaceuticals and just went downhill. Completely downhill. Yeah. And so fast. Now, for you, you had a work-related accident that changed your life. What what uh, what happened? Well, I was a plumber, um, and I was working in a condominium, and I was up about five feet in the air. I didn't have a ladder. For some reason, they had covered the tubs with Tyvek, a slippery sidings uh, covering, and I lost my footing, basically, and I fell backwards and landed on my five-gallon bucket of tools right in the middle of my back, Ooh. and um, I was fired from that job for um, needing the light duty work that was requested by my doctor and I was trying to support my children so I continued to work as a plumber and I tried not to complain because I'm a girl for one thing and I didn't want to get fired from my job so I worked with that damage back until I I couldn't work anymore and, and until it needed to be repaired in such a way that I wouldn't be able to do that career any longer. And so that left me out of work for five years. And how did you get involved with medical cannabis? I met a wonderful doctor named Dr. Johnson here in Ellensburg, Washington, who had moved here from Spokane and wanted to start an authorization clinic and help people. I 
had the opportunity to answer phones for him and set up appointments for him. He asked me if I would get a business license. He really liked the way we worked together. He liked my administrative um, capabilities. And so I did get my business license and we began working together and we were able to even go to patients' homes then. It was wonderful. The elderly, a whole nother story to be able to step inside the home and see how this is working for a patient, really see what relief they do and what methods they use and get to know the variety of uses for cannabis. That was extremely valuable to me. And from there, I had an opportunity to work for the largest authorization company in the state, which I thought was an amazing opportunity. And I opened up their Eastern Washington branches for them. And as I worked for them, I thought, um, gosh, you know, with all of these patients and the money that they're getting, they must be supporting patients and helping people. And I was quick to find out that that wasn't the case. And when I would try to go to our state capitol and fight for patient rights, they would tell me, don't mention where you work from. And that was a red flag for me. And it started me to question where I was working and why. And I saw a lot of good people there who were coming to actually get cannabis treatment from a doctor and they needed this help. I also saw other people who were abusing the system. And so I quit my job there in December of 2013 and I decided to start my own company. And I asked a doctor that I knew was very passionate about cannabis treatment protocols for patients to join me. And we opened up with four locations in eastern Washington right off the bat, January of 2014. And we are still open. We are down to two locations since they've changed the laws. We've uh, had to cut back. Um, we don't have as many patients as we did the first two years, but we're still able to keep the overhead paid. And, and we're going to continue to fight to regain access and patient rights that have been lost since recreational passed. Tracy, why don't you have as many patients as you did before? Once recreational was passed in Washington State and it was um, on the platform that it would not change or harm the medical cannabis community, that's how it was voted in. But once it was voted in, they started eliminating the medical community. Immediately, they said that there would be no more dispensaries, that you would only be able to access through the state recreational stores as of July 1st of 2016. They cut back how much patients can grow um, and how much they can possess. And they made a Department of Health registry. It is optional here, and that's our only saving grace. But if you do need a higher plant count, more than four plants um, and six ounces, if you register with the state, they automatically increase that to six plants and eight ounces. You can petition your doctor for up to 15 plants, but you do have to join the Department of Health's registry to get that higher plant count and the higher limit. What doesn't make sense to me is we can still have 15 plants, and with that always came a 24-ounce limit. They've reduced that now to 16 ounces for anywhere between 7 and 15 plants. If you're a decent grower at all, you're probably going to get more than 6 ounces off of 4 plants. I think they do it to try to increase penalties and force patients to have to shop in these retail stores, which are highly unregulated. They don't test for pesticides on the products. They're not safe. They actually have harmed patients. I have actual physical proof of that. I did some secret shopping with uh, Dr. Mobley around a year ago 
just to see what was on the shelf, what patients would be forced to buy come July 1st, 2016, and it was horrendous. Those test results are posted on my website. If anyone would like to see one gram of RSO in particular that was given to me by a cancer patient who had ingested 46 grams of this oil by the time she got to me, that one gram tested so badly it could have been used as a pesticide by itself. And we have to now monitor her for poison control now with symptoms and side effects of chemotherapy as well. And the state never recalled that product. They left it on the shelf to be sold, and they fined the farmer, of course, for using an illegal pesticide. But no recalls have happened in Washington State. And this was a licensed dispensary? This was a licensed recreational retail outlet monitored by the state of Washington. So with cancer patients... If I'm understanding you correctly, they're allowed to grow a few plants, but if they don't grow for whatever reason, their only source of cannabis to, say, make into oil or edibles or whatever has to be purchased at a dispensary that is licensed for recreational. That's right. Okay. And the state is supposed to have products that are tested more rigorously for pesticides, heavy metals, contaminants, mold. And those products, when tested correctly, can be marketed to patients as medical certified. But we don't have any medical certified products. They have offered, there has been three dry flower products that have made it to a a few select stores not anywhere near where, you know, every patient could get a hold of it and not in volume enough to make oil for sure um, and not at a consistent rate either. Um, so we have essentially had zero safe medical products since July 1st of 2016, and it is now a felony to share products with another patient. So even if you are fortunate enough to be able to grow and have extra, if you do share, you could be charged with a felony. Tracy, one of the things that really surprised me in the information you sent us that is that the stores in Washington State that sell recreational cannabis are not allowed to sell CBD only. That doesn't, That's correct. That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. And on the reverse side of that, they passed a cannabis health and beauty aid bill here where we were under the impression we would have access to CBDs in that way, but they wrote into the bill that you cannot use CBDs that cross the blood-brain barrier, and so how are you supposed to ingest your CBDs only if you can't sell them as a health and beauty aid that way legally and they don't sell them in the retail store? Um, Some patients are highly sensitive to THC. They cannot tolerate it. You know, it's, uh, the whole system is crazy, uh, not only in Washington <laughs> State, but uh, but elsewhere, because you can uh, ingest opiates, which actually kill people. And those of us in Canada, have we have an opiate problem here, as you do in the United States, uh, where hundreds and hundreds of people die. But nobody has died from cannabis. Nobody has ever died from ingesting CBD. And nobody has been charged Nobody gets charged for giving someone uh, an opiate, right? If I, right, I, and a patient dies or... That's right. Whatever, nobody gets charged for that. But if I give you CBD, I guess, in Washington State, uh, I sell you CBD in a, recreational, uh, in a recreational dispensary, I can essentially be charged. Do I have that right, Tracy? 
you wouldn't be allowed to have that product on your shelf if it doesn't contain um, THC. THC. And it has to contain over 0.3 THC. So it has to to get you, well, over over 0.3. It has to get you high. High. Yeah. Yeah, that's their whole purpose. Tracy, sorry to interrupt here, but what is their reasoning for that? This is all recreational to them. Our liquor control board spokesperson came right out of the gate saying that 99% of patients were faking it anyway. The lead attorney who runs our Department of Health said that it is only medical based on the mindset of the patient. Now, I don't know how the mindset of a six-year-old works, but I don't think she understands um, that it could be recreational, and that's what stopped her seizure. And it really frustrates me that these are the leaders of are the organizations that could help us. Tracy, tell me some of the stories that you've experienced in your assistance with cancer patients and other patients in your practice. Well, I've had a lot of wonderful experiences. Um, Like I mentioned, we were able to help cancer patients for free for the first two years, and I wish we could still do that today. The overhead stayed the same and the number of patients shrank. And so we'd only charge our cancer patients $50 now. But in the beginning when it was free, um, we saw a lot of them. And I got to follow their progress. And I was able to go to their homes and teach them how to capsule oil, how to make their own oil, um, how to look at oil that they're buying and make sure that it's been tested appropriately, how to ask for the strain, how to ask for potency. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed giving all of that information to the patients and watching their lives change and watching their quality of life improve and watching them regain hope and their families regain hope. It was beautiful. And what ruined that for me was in June of 2016, One month before the deadline of all dispensaries being closed, I got a call from one of my patients who had moved here from Florida to use medical cannabis and had been doing so successfully. And he was using about a gram a day suppository method, and he was uh, had a better quality of life. I don't know that cannabis was going to end up saving his life, but he certainly had quality of life and he was able to participate with his family. And in June, he called me and he said, I can't find it at the dispensaries anymore. You see, as the dispensaries were closing, they weren't restocking the shelves because they had nowhere to go. When the, once July 1st came, it would be um, criminal of them to have these products. So they would sell the products. And of course, if anyone needed the RSO, they would buy it as fast as they can. Well, Stephen couldn't find it. And it was before July 1st, so I, I made a batch, and I shared it with him. And I, too, had to have surgery on my, my ear. I had a major surgery coming up. And I called Stephen's wife after I had recovered from surgery to ask how he had, was doing. And she said that he had ran out of oil, and they couldn't find it anywhere and that he suffered a brain bleed and had passed away. And she was furious that she had moved to a state for access to oil 
and had access to oil, and she could not understand why she did not have access to oil. And that if you could find it in the stores, it was all of a sudden $90 a gram and not tested in any way for pesticides or contaminants. And she couldn't understand. And I, I couldn't understand. And I didn't know what to tell her. And, of course, I felt like if I would have been able to make more or share more, maybe he wouldn't. Um, and that was my first casualty of the Patient Protection Act in Washington State. And I still get calls from cancer patients who can't grow enough medicine to make oil and they can't find it from anybody because it's a felony to share. Tracy, that is a tragic story. Do you have a happier story you can tell us about someone who you helped? Yes. Okay. Fire away. Yes. Okay. There is this elderly couple that I met a year before I started my own business, and she was diagnosed uh, with leukemia. And her husband had the capability and knowledge to grow cannabis, and he had heard about oil. They both came in and got their authorizations, and they started growing their own cannabis, and he makes oil for her. And you would never know she has leukemia. Every year she comes back, she looks healthier. And I look forward to seeing that couple as a reminder of, you know, why we do what we do. And there are other couples um, and family members that call me and thank me um, for, you know, explaining, going the extra steps to explain to them not just that cannabis is medicine, but how it's medicine and how to get that medicine and that you can make it yourself. And um, once a patient learns that, like all the lights come on, they have their own power to heal. And that's an amazing thing to witness. What's the average age of the people that come and see you, Tracy? Or is it all over the map? No, um, my average age of patients are typically between 45 and 80. I do have some minor patients, and I do have a couple patients that are, believe it or not, 98 years old. Wow. Um, I know. Do they- I have one lady that had seen everything from growing hemp mandatorily through all of the pro- prohibition and then wanted to use topicals and then learned about more benefits, but it was pretty amazing. How did they consume it? Do they take the oil? Do they vape? Do they smoke? Or edibles? edibles? Uh, uh, older patients are ingesting, and they're doing topicals. Some do smoke. Some do vaporize. But for the most part, what I hear from them is, I'm not here to get high. I'm here to use this as medicine. Mm-hmm. They um, have all kinds of questions about um, how to make the CBD and THC ratios different to accommodate their particular conditions and that's you know an individual thing that you have to really work at you not everybody just knows what strain works best for them and what ratio and so um explaining that to them and and helping them as they go through the trial and error process uh is important as well I was thinking about your comment about your sister and how she looked so radiant when she took Cannabis And, uh, Corey, you and I have talked to a number of people who have had similar comments about them taking cannabis and how yes. much better they felt and how other people would comment on how their appearance is so much improved. Proved, yes. Yeah. yeah. And even yourself, yeah. once uh, you took it, you said that uh, people would come up to you and comment. Yes, on I had people walk right by me because they didn't recognize me. Yeah. So yeah, the change was so huge. 
when I learned how to make full extract cannabis oil, um, it was uh, just last year to learn how to make it for myself. But I did so because I was having these reoccurrent uh, cholestioma tumors on my ear where they have to remove your whole ear to take those out. I've had four of them in the last two years. And I do have to take some pain management medication during that time, but I don't want to take everything they give me. So to combat that, I made my own oil and took oil every four hours instead of a pain pill every four hours and could stretch that pain pill to every eight hours. And I never had to take the morphine that they offered me. I could just use just the Percocet and my oil, and I never had to take the higher amounts that they wanted me to take so that after the surgery, I didn't have a problem coming off of them. So they have to take your ear off? Yes. Yes, it's a cholesteoma tumor is a skin tumor that actually erodes and eats away the bone. So I have no small bones in there. And what it does is it works its way through your skull and gives you a brain infection if you don't catch it. A um, hundred years ago, before we had imaging, it was one of the leading causes of death. People would have an earache, their ear would drain, and then they would pass away. When they caught mine, it was approximately 20 years old, the first one, and it's just stubborn. It keeps coming back. I go in for my six-month checkup here soon, and I did a CAT scan last month, and so far it looks good. I wonder if with large amounts of oil, you could eradicate it completely. Just a That's question. That's what I wonder, too. I wonder. I and um, I had a friend who made me some oil with a little bit of carrier that I can rub on the back soft spot of my ear that I'd use at night. Right. And I just got that about three weeks ago. So we're hoping we can keep that little sucker away. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> what, Tracy, yeah. when, you were, uh, when you first had that back injury and you had that five years, were you using cannabis then? And if so, in what form? I was, but I was only smoking it because I didn't know how to make any other forms, and I hadn't been around anyone else who was educated in that way. What has making cannabis oil done to change your life or your viewpoint of medicine, Tracy? It has been life-changing. I now realize that I have the power and the ability to heal my self right here in my own home and i don't have to pay 90 dollars a gram and wonder what's in it that's huge for me and i think that should be huge for everyone and i was scared to do it the first time i did it too you hear you know about it could explode this and that but if you do it safely with precautions it's easy to do it's manageable and you can make your own product and save your own life or you can help save that life of someone you know and teach them how to do it as well because they want it. Being part of the experience of making your own medicine, it's kind of like the experience of growing your own plants. That too is therapeutic. And um, you build a relationship with something that's going to heal you. Now you're going to take it one step further. You're going to take that plant matter and concentrate it into the ultimate healing that we are supposed to get out of this plant. And I truly believe that full extract cannabis oil is the ultimate healing property of the plant. So when you're 98, will someone be making it for you? Like the older Uh, couple that you saw? (laughs) Maybe they'll have to help me capsule it up. I might be too shaky. (laughs) No, that's great. You know, and I I teach people... 
you know, a grain of rice is really hard to understand, but I have a grain scale that my dad gave me for, it was for reloading bullets and there's 15.4 grains per gram. And so you can actually weigh a capsule at one grain and start there. And then you can take that one grain for three to four days if you have no tolerance built up and um, build your tolerance up that way and then add it two grains for three to four days. And you could build your tolerance up slowly that way. I've noticed with especially elderly cancer patients, their family hears we got to get them to a gram a day for so long and they push this gram a day on them. Well, the patient isn't used to using cannabis and that feels awkward to them. And sometimes you can scare a patient away from cannabis because they feel too groggy, too messed up. That's not how they want to spend their last days and their time with their family. So you got to be careful that um, while that is the goal and while that is a regimen that works, how you get to that amount is important to take their time doing. Oh, that's excellent advice. That's yeah, very, that's yeah. very good. Very advice. good, Tracy. Thank you. Yeah. Anything you want to say in conclusion, Tracy, about uh, the use of cannabis, about your business, for folks who may uh, be listening in Washington State? How about your website? My website is patientsforpatientsmedical.com, and that's with the word for spelled out. And I keep articles of information in the blog, What's New section. That's not really a section about how I feel. It's um, actual articles of things, laws that have happened here, um, pesticide rulings and things that I've been working on. And um, we have clinic in Spokane Valley and Yakima once a month. We do have the doctors and the capability to be there more. If we get more patients, we can be there more days. Tracy, wonderful to talk to you. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tracy. This is this has been great. Corey, you're my hero. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> and there you have it, another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.